This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience. Today I have with me Paul Schumann. He's the problem solver. For over 46 years, Paul has settled and solved issues as a real estate broker and mortgage lender. Paul has saved hundreds of companies from closing as a top settlement negotiator. He loves helping people pay less and get back on track. He is the knowledgeable in credit, debit, and he's seen most issues. In his local area, he is known as the Jewish Santa Claus. He loves inspiring kids to achieve more in life. He is also available to be a Santa Claus for San Diego charities that may need one. Never a charge. It is his give back to society. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to the uh, current version of you? Boy, that goes back 50 plus years. Uh, when I graduated from college in 71, I actually had a degree in chemistry. Uh, my dad was an electrical engineer for the U.S. government and was one of those guys that had an IQ similar to Einstein. So all my life, I was surrounded by somebody who was always telling me education is the number one thing in the world. So after I graduated from college, the day I left, I actually met up with a friend who is working with in college. And we started to do some real estate deals. I bought a 16-unit apartment building in North Long Beach for no money down. Uh, and we ended up getting some tremendous cash revenue off of it, put cash at escrow, close of escrow, started going down to Huntington Harbor Yacht Club in Huntington Beach and flipping raw land. And my partner said, hey, we're flipping it to all these developers. Why don't we do that? So we ended up building 14 apartment buildings and office building and I've been involved with real estate, with uh, developers and, and just regular residential sales for, see, I got my broker's license in 1980. So it's been ever since 1980 that I've been involved in the real estate industry. And for a long time, I was also a mortgage lender. So I could find somebody a house and put the mortgage on it. It was kind of like a lot of fun back then to a lot of the rules have changed recently. But I've, I've learned so much about credit being a mortgage broker and the negotiations being in real estate. And then somewhere around 1993, I uh, was recruited out by a company called IBC and they are a, a large debt mediation company. And they asked me, have you ever done a debt settlement? And I says, no, why? He says, well, we'd like to have you do some. I sat down and I think you know, not ever seeing what it was, I realized that there's a creditor side and a debtor side. I said, okay, well, the first thing I need to know is what condition my debtor is in. So I taught myself how to work with companies, corporations, and individuals to find out what the real background is in life and how they got to this point and where they will, how they want to get out of it. And then I would add my expertise to that and we'd work out settlement programs. Now, I am not like all the other settlement companies out there 
like the big guys who say, oh, we'll set you up on a payment plan and we'll do this and we'll do that. No, I don't do those things. Mine is really simple. I never charge an upfront fee. All phone conversations are totally free. You can learn whatever you want, ask me any question. Like I'm saying, I got 40 plus years of in the credit restoration, debt, settlements, and other industries. But what I literally like to do is get into the head of the person who has the debt and find out how they want to get out of it. Because there is only one way that I work, is that they find enough money to settle the debt in either one payment or three payments, typically over about a 60 day period. Now, what I do is I actually contact <clears throat> the creditor and I get into their head and find out what really works for them. And a lot of times it's a whole lot less than what people think it is, because a lot of it has to do with the emotion of the debt creditor relationship. Because I, I work a lot with businesses that have trade payables. So there's a relationship between the debtor and the creditor. In other words, they're buying supplies from them on a regular basis. They're utilizing their systems. So I learned that finding out the emotion of the creditor was equally as important because a lot of times settlements are done by sometimes writing letters of apology, uh, working out payment plans, or even settling it at 20, 30, 40 cents on the dollar if that's all it takes. The whole idea is that with 40 plus years of working with people, I've learned how to get inside their heads. I was also a health practitioner for a number of years around 1989, 1990. And what I did was I actually went in and studied tremendous number of personal growth programs. And it taught me how to work with people's emotions. And I realized that over time, whether in your real estate and people are buying a house for the first time and they're all excited, or your mortgage lender trying to understand how to get them the best loan so that they can make it in life and not have to overpay or make sure the interest rates are right or the terms are right, whether it's a 5-1 arm or a fixed rate. But it, it, it got me even a lot deeper than that into the personal level of people. That's where I learned if you can get into that level, you make the best settlement deals because you get the debtor on your side and he feels sympathetic in the area because you're working with their emotions. And once you've got somebody on your side, getting the settlement is a whole lot easier. That's kind of how I got from where I was in college chemistry, which gave me a logic background, working through real estate, which I worked with lenders and builders, developers, homeowners, and then right up through debt settlement, where I actually got to work with creditors and debtors on a regular personal basis. I did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these and almost every one of them was totally a success. Everybody won. It was a win-win-win situation and that's how I like to play the game. So that's how I got to here. No, that's awesome. And uh, I haven't been through anything in terms of kind of a debt modification or renegotiation, but is it something where the, the law or kind of the rules are different state to state or is it kind of a uh, national, you can do similar things on a national level. The only companies that can <clears throat> work in every, all 50 states are nonprofit. And again, I don't work like a nonprofit because I never touch your money, ever. I don't touch it for the payments. I don't touch it for anything. And nonprofits will, they'll take your money, whether they do work for you or not. And you have to be really, really careful. 
one of the big ones, uh, I think there's two major national ones. One of them got sued last July by the federal government for overcharging customers, taking payments and not doing the work for them. And this is where I separated myself in the industry saying, I will never touch your money. If you need to put it in a separate account, it's in your name only and I don't have anything to do with it. I don't use escrows to take your money and hold it for you. I believe that if you want to get out of debt and it's truly something that you want to do, it's a simple instruction. Or find a friend or relative that has money that can help you bail out if you're essentially settling your debts at 40, 50, 60 cents on the dollar. And then for your businesses, I've actually talked to some major lenders that lend strictly to businesses. And I asked them, I said, if, if I come up with a business that's got a lot of debt, would not qualify for your loan. But I got the agreement of all of the creditors out there to take a lot less money. You actually were now able to fund it because the numbers worked out for your ratios. Would you be open to that? And although I've talked to quite a few, I've actually got a few of them said, absolutely, we would do that because it's all about the numbers. If you can make the numbers go away so that we're in better position and we're holding a UCC one and we've got nobody to worry about, absolutely. So there's a lot of remedies out there that I have learned over the years that I can help. Yeah. And I think it, uh, obviously it's different for each situation. I think it's important. You mentioned earlier that you take kind of that personal approach because I think making that personal connection and actually caring about a client and, you know, a services focused kind of uh, profession, it really uh, goes a long way, especially when the people obviously are in debt or looking for, you know, a way out and oftentimes, you know, are upset or, you know, different kind of negative state of minds. Yeah. It's, the emotions are probably everything in the game. When you're the debtor, you're stressed out. I mean, you're trying to either build your business or stay alive and you've got all of these debts sitting out there and you don't, you don't know what to do. You look at your paycheck and at the end of the month, there's more debt than there is money. And I'll tell you, the emotion it can have on a person is really, really, it's wearing. I have worked with many, many homeowners and, and families that just beyond stressed out. Sometimes I can help them and sometimes I can't. Sometimes there's just no mechanism to do that. But there's always a way. And a lot of times it might come from a relative, it might come from a distant friend, or it might even come from a partner that you're working with that says, okay, I'll get you out of debt, but you're gonna owe me back what it is and we'll take some security or whatever it is. There's, there's ways and the literally hundreds and hundreds of clients that I have helped it's amazing how many different ways there are that's what surprised me too. you know people pulling money out of unusual places I've even now not very often I've even had a creditor take an object to settle their debt one guy was owed several thousand dollars and the guy said hey I got nothing all I got is a boat an old car and this and the guy said I'll take your boat what is it and he told him what it was he says you sign the boat over to me we're done so it's not just about money it's about the emotions and it's about connecting the minds together and finding out what people really want again not all times is it money sometimes it's an apology sometimes it's just doing things differently 
And that's where my 40 plus years and seeing about everything out there, I can help guide the debtors through the system and I can help the creditors understand things a little bit better. That's where I'm at. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's kind of, uh, you're the, the guide for them through that process. Absolutely. So what motivates you to succeed? You know, all my life, I have helped other people, whether it's through college, whether it's in life in real estate, helping them find things. There are times I've taken in foreign students. When I lived in, in Vista, I had a giant house and I literally had 14 people living with me that I paid for and took care of. It's like I've been a big Santa Claus all my life. And that's kind of why in these last years now, I've decided that my give back is to be a real Santa Claus. And I bought thousands of dollars worth of toys and given them away to kids. And I'm working on more programs right now to raise money to get more toys. Right now in San Diego County, we have over 22,000 homeless children. And it saddens me greatly that sometimes things in their life happen Sometimes they don't even have so much as a little stuffed animal to hold on to. So whatever I can do in life to give back, that's my give back. Being a Santa Claus to kids and holding them in my arms and telling them how great they are, and how wonderful their future is, and giving them a really great present so they can put a smile on their face. Yeah, that uh, encouragement goes a long way. A few months ago, I was in, in California, last Southern California in uh, LA and you know there's a lot of homelessness and uh, being a foster parent there's 700,000 kids in the foster care system and uh, it's important because the, the older kids that you know basically their guardians had their rights terminated and no one's adopted them throughout the whole time they stay in the process and then they age out and there's a very high chance that you know they end up you know in the streets in gangs on drugs so kids like that and um, people in your everyday lives, and if you see a homeless person, you know, oftentimes they've just fell on, you know, bad luck or situations and not necessarily, you know, look down on in terms of, you know, they want to be homeless or that's the life they've chose. Sometimes it's, like I said, you know, the people are one paycheck away from being homeless and something happens like medical bills or something unforeseen and they lose everything. So I think giving that hope, especially to a child and showing them there is more and you know a possible future and that they're worth something is very important. I understand because I have personal experience in that area. About 33 years ago, my wife and I adopted a drug baby. And matter of fact, we were a foster parent care for endangered kids. They're all from drug families and abandoned and literally they were newborns to you know two and three months old and sometimes they would scream 24 hours a day seven days a week in pain because they were withdrawing from heroin or some other you know narcotic that the parents had that inundated these kids and i tell you it saddens you greatly when you see these tiny little babies that have nothing to do with what happened in their life and see them destroyed and i've worked for the last 33 years to keep my my son at least had kind of straight, but he came into this world pretty bad. Schizophrenia was the mildest part of, of it, but it's taken a terrible toll. So I understand the need for more foster parents, the 
need to get these kids off the street and give them a stable home. I know that if I had not been there, my son would either be in jail or dead by now. And it just doesn't have to be that way. We have the resources to do this. We just need to reach out and find them. And that's, <clears throat> that's one of the things that you know, I want to help people do is give back. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of people kind of don't step up in that way, regardless of what they do to give back. And they could do, you know, small things every day to kind of make a difference. Or even, you know, people that I come across, you know, me, uh, my wife and I, you guys are so great for doing it. I can never do it. But well, like, why not? You know, somebody for everything in history, somebody said they couldn't do it. And, you know, the only thing is you're holding yourself back. So why not at least try? I'm not necessarily if you don't have the you know, the time or the commitment or the resources to be a foster parent, you can at least volunteer a few hours at, you know, uh, a, a, you know, a foster or some kind of facility where, you know, kids go for after school, different programs and things like that, or be a mentor where it's something uh, part time. But, you know, these kids do grow up. And if you don't address their problems, they're going to either act out as adults, their mental state is never addressed or helped and it's sad because you know that's that's the next generation's coming up so if we don't do anything we can't complain in the future about it yeah, you could be a, a big brother or sister to a lot of kids out there what they're finding in the drug arena and the gangs that are out there is because these kids they don't have a home they don't have a place they can be feel safe in so the only place they can feel safe is in a gang where they know well he's got my back you know i got his back and we're we're together but at home there might not be a home there might be a an alcoholic father or a drug addicted mother or something going on there's constantly domestic violence and fights and yelling and screaming so these kids run away they escape they escape to the gangs the gangs have rules you know you got to be a tough guy to be in, a, in our gang you know you got to be able to beat somebody up or stand on your own two feet or do things that they don't need to do you need to do is learn be in school go on the internet learn about whatever it is that their passion is in life do they want to help or give back do they want to be a fireman you know i don't know kids growing up have dreams most of them are squashed most of them are told by other oh you'll never do that ah oh, you're a gangman you'll never do that you know you know, you come from a poor family on the wrong side of the tracks, you'll never do that, but farthest from the truth ever. We've had some of the most brilliant minds in the world come from the wrong side of the tracks, but they stepped over those tracks. Something that every human being can do, but you've got to go deep inside. You've got to go into your heart. You've got to find out what motivates you, what your passion is. And my passion all my life has been helping people. And I found that I can help more people by getting them out of debt so they have a smile on their face and they can at least sleep a little better at night going, oh man, collection agency is coming to get me. They're not going to repossess my car. They're not going to do this. They're not going to do that. And all of a sudden, when some of that stress is relieved, their family life gets better and they look around and go, you know, I can get another job. I can do something different. I can change my life because it is my life. It's not somebody else's life. I am the only changer of my life. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, like you said, personal finances are kind of one of the, the major reasons in terms of divorce and, you know, additional stress on an individual or a marriage as well. So kind of alleviating that is one less thing to work, worry about and, you know, leaving to work on your relationship. And you got it right. <clears throat> finances will break up about 40% of marriages out there. And it doesn't have to. The problem is, is that our school systems have never taught financial responsibility. They may have taught how to open up a bank account or how to spend money or what a charge card is or what a savings account is. They may even talked a little bit about how stocks and bonds work on a very, very light basis. But that might be one class. And they expect that's supposed to last you a lifetime. You're supposed to understand how to use money, how to save it, how to protect how to grow it and not overspend it. What we see today is anybody watching television, and this is kind of an unusual thing that 60 Minutes have been out on college campuses and asked them questions. Who's the vice president? Who was the vice president of Clinton? Who is this person? Who is this person? What, what was this about? And 90% of the college students had no idea. However, they asked them a series of questions like, who's the Cardassians? Who's this you know, sitcom? Who's this? They knew every answer. They knew every one of them. They spend their time in a lava land. They spend their time watching things which have no relevance or importance to their life. And unfortunately, they miss out on the things that could give them a better education. They could spend a little time learning what life insurance is what health insurance is, how to save money, how to invest, what the stock market's all about. All these different areas that have to do with when you retire. Because the way things are going in our economy, we may not have a retirement like we used to have. There's not enough young people putting money into the system anymore. Back in my age, 70 plus years ago, the amount of Social Security was very minimal that we need, but we had virtually everybody working. Now our baby boomers here, us old guys, we're not working anymore. We're not putting Social Security money into the system. Who is? The millennials. The millennials aren't putting in anywhere as much as needed to cover the population, which is like four times larger than them. So where we had maybe eight or 10 people putting into the system to take care of one, we've got about four people putting in the system to take care of three. And that's why Social Security has all these issues, other than the fact the federal government stole all the money from it, but that's a separate issue. So I want to be able to help guide a little bit. When you're sitting down talking to me, I'll, I'll give you lots of different ideas. But again, it's, it's up to you the American public take the time and study something other than the Cardassians. Find out what's really happening in this world and learn how to protect yourself because nobody else is going to do it. No stranger down the street is going to come in and pay your bills. Nobody else is going to balance your checkbook. Nobody else is going to tell you what to invest in. Something you need to do. This is a personal responsibility of every human being on this planet to understand what's best for them, not what somebody else does. Don't try and keep up with the Joneses or the Smiths or the Browns. Keep up with yourself.
Find out where you want to be in life, where you want to go. And that's what you learn your education from. That's what I challenge you, that you don't get into the trouble that I need to be there for. Too much debt. Learn that credit cards are there for a reason. They're there to help you over short little bumps when you don't might not have the cash. Or in case of emergency, they're not to live on. You don't just keep racking up credit card debt after credit card debt, buying things that you probably didn't need. Educate. No, I agree. And I think it's important to take that responsibility because like you said, nobody's responsible for your you know, success or failure or for you to become financially literate or financially independent. So you have to keep learning with things that come out, especially I think, I think some schools, high schools around the country are now offering kind of like a, a adulting class where they do teach you about, you know, stocks and finances more so than you know, opening up a, uh, a bank account. And I think it is very important to get that start early so you don't have to have a hole to dig out of several years down the line. Absolutely. So what's one uh, thing that you may have had as a weakness in the past that you've turned around and utilized now as a strength? It's something my wife bugs about me all the time. She calls it sorting for differences. I always look for what we will call the exception to the rule. When somebody says, oh, all the people are doing this, I go, yeah, well, some people are doing it this way. And some people are doing it this way. And every time somebody comes up with something, I always seem to sort and go on, what didn't they see? Well, over the years in doing that, yeah, a lot of people grumble that, you know, hey, you know, what are you talking about? Why aren't you following this and following the norm or whatever? I'm going, that's not who I am. But what I've learned in all the years of sorting for differences when people talk about things is I get to see both sides of the story. When a debtor and a creditor are talking, I sort for the differences between them so that I can remove them. I can take the differences that they have and come up with a solution that now there is no difference. They both agree. And that's what literally I've done for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of I got both sides to agree because they saw the differences and then they put them to one side. So my, my ability to literally look in, and I can walk into any company anywhere and people say, well, how do you, you know, work with a carpentry company over here and a sales company over here, or an electronic technical company over there or something else. And how can you go to any one of them and know what you're doing? That's just because they're all the same. Look at me and go, what do you mean? They're this is carpentry, that's technology. I said, no, they have a CEO, they have a president, they have a board, they have employees, they have HR, they have a sales team, they have a marketing team, they have a research team. They all have the same things. They just, they just utilize them in different ways. I said, but the biggest problem that I found where I've gone into companies and turned them around from People calling me 10 years later that they had 14 employees when I started. Now they have 400 because I integrated some things into what they were doing. And it was called communication. The research department did not know what the sales department was doing, nor did they know what the tech department was doing, nor did they know what the marketing department was doing. So 
it was a requirement of this company that every head of the division sat down at the table every 30 days and said, what are you doing? Where are we going? What are we selling? What are you manufacturing? And people would come back to the marketing department and say, well, what does the public want? We can create what they want, but we don't know what they want. So now the marketing department goes out and they do the research and they start researching what it is. And this is true in every company in existence. And it does not matter. If you don't know what the public wants and you build something and nobody buys it, you're bankrupt. So you need to find out what the public wants that's in your niche, you might say. It's your area of expertise. Find out what they want. And then find out who can market that, who can distribute it, who can manufacture it. And what are the price points on this? Do we, do we go to another country? Do we stay in the US? Do we go international or do we stay local? These are things that I brainstorm with companies to determine whether or not they're ready for it. And usually during the end of the conversation, I don't make any decisions. They realize that, oh wow, I don't know the answers to those things. I don't know what the marketing department is doing enough. I don't know what the public wants of us. Every company is the same. I don't care. It, a good way to find out some information is a, go watch television, Shark Tank. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about it, but Shark Tank listens to entrepreneurs every single day as they pitch their wares. And then you hear the feedback from multimillionaires and billionaires who want to fund their projects and what they say about them. And they go, well, did you do your research? What are the numbers? Uh, how much are you, what's your cost of manufacturing? Where are you building it? You know, they ask a lot of the pertinent questions that virtually every company needs to answer before they ever walk into the Shark Tank. Listen to them. You'll get a heck of an education, even if you don't own a business. Yeah, I agree. I think those, um, those pain points seem to repeat themselves. And like you said about businesses being the same there, they are the same and uh, the communication is important because oftentimes the different departments are fragmented and often siloed in kind of their own little world and don't necessarily pay attention or, you know, even care what another department's doing or what they have going on. So adding that kind of cohesiveness and having everybody on the same page is uh, very important. Yes, it is. So what's one piece of advice you have for the audience, either personal or professional? I would say a piece of advice before you pick up your credit card, look at what it is you're buying and then look at your bank account. And a lot of people use credit cards because they get percent and a half, 2% cash back. They get rewards, they get travel benefits, they get all sorts of things. In those instances, using credit cards is extremely valuable because you have the money to pay it off in full at the end of the month, but they're giving you all these nice little perks along the way. Why not take them? Why not use them? Get the bonus miles to go travel first class sometime. Get those extra reward points that maybe buy a Christmas present for somebody because they gave it to you for free. But be very, very careful before you put that credit card down that you're capable of covering it. And it's for something that's important 
not just, oh, I think I'll buy a, a fifth pair of pants or you know, I need I need another pair of tennis shoes. I have 10 pairs, but these are really cool looking. It's only on the credit Those are not choices that keep you healthy financially. Those are choices that keep you in debt. As we know, because the president and everybody else has come out, we're about $1.3 trillion in debt on credit cards. Folks, it's not gonna get any better. Any of you that remember back from 2005, six, seven, the area, you remember that the credit card interest rates were anywhere from about 3% to about six or 7% on the average. Today, they start around 15% and they go to about 27%. So that one little object that you're buying for $1,000 within the first year went up $270, 27% interest. So remember, if you put it on a credit card and you don't pay for it, what you're paying for that object is quite a bit more expensive than you ever imagined. And that's just in the first year. Year after year, it accumulates, which is why my guesstimate on the actual debt people using credit cards is probably about seven to 800 million, and the rest are penalties and interest. Another $500 billion. That's where the banks make their money. Let's face it. You're not making it much on loans anymore. Savings account, they're not paying you anything. There isn't a lot of places to make money. Credit cards are really big. So be careful. They want your money. Keep it in your pocket. Yeah, I agree. That's great advice. If you don't have to use it, you know, don't. And you need to have the money to cover it to begin with. That you're comfortable paying for it and not just simply putting it away and incurring that interest on things that you may not necessarily need. Again, it comes back to what I mentioned a while ago, financial responsibility. Are you responsible enough to make your payments on time and responsible enough not to get yourself so far in debt that if for whatever reason we go into another recession, which is probably almost absolutely a certainty within the next year or two, and all of a sudden, maybe you don't have that second paycheck. Maybe you're missing something. And all of a sudden, the good times stopped. Right now, real estate is still going up, but it has already slowed and starting to come down across the entire United States. This is the precursor to a larger drop. We saw this in 2005 and six, where all of a sudden the market sort of slowed down. And then all of a sudden it got a little slower and prices started to come down a little bit and a little bit more. We saw the stock market going totally out of control, going skyrocketing and all of a sudden the stock market started to stop. Beware, it will happen. We don't know when, but it will happen. And will you be prepared to pay all of those extra monthly payments with less money? That's financial responsibility. It's called living beneath your means. That's what Warren Buffett talks about. If you ever looked at Warren Buffett and saw the house he lives in, he lives in a tract home, drives regular cars. What's he worth? I don't know, $100 billion. He gave um, Gates $37 billion for his foundation. 
He can afford to do anything he wants, but he lives like a simple man. And that's what made him his fortune because he looked at the companies and wanted to make sure they were res financial responsible. They did things the right way and that's where he put everybody's money. That's why everybody did so well with his stocks. But he's warning people, it's about to end. Be careful with your money. Be very, very careful with your money. Pay your debts down as best as you can while you still have the ability to. My advice, learn financial responsibility and how it affects you in your life. I agree. Well, I uh, really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Well, you can find me a couple different ways. You can call me on my cell phone. I am, I'm hoping to take calls all the time because I love to give back. And my phone number is 760-726-4228. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at justcallpaul at gmail.com. I got that nickname years ago as the answer, man. Everybody said, I oh, don't know what's going on. Just call Paul. Got the answer. If I didn't have it, I would research it. So just call Paul at gmail.com or you can look me up on Facebook. I don't have my beard, but I have a cowboy hat or you can look me up on LinkedIn. Same way, Paul Schumann. My last name is spelled S-C-H-U-M. A-N-N, -N, as in the composer Robert Schumann, S-C-H-U-M-A-N-N. -N. Look me up, you'll find me. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Oh, you're more than welcome. Any, If you have any questions, reach out to me. I'll answer them. I know I answer lots of questions on Quoria. It's a question and answer website out there that people send in questions all over the world, and I probably answered them maybe few hundred of them all about finances personal responsibility so if you have any questions you can holler awesome thank you and thank you this podcast has been brought to you by nova zora digital find out how nora zora digital can help your company grow online learn more at novazoradigital.com until next time all you digital savages.